Hello everybody and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, my debut on this said podcast, but I'm sure the two voices who are with me today you are much more familiar with. Um, it's Joining me today is Mr Samuel Lucker. Sam, how's it going? It's it's it was going well up until you said Sam there. Dan. I know. I just I literally was practicing. Well, Daniel, Daniel. Yeah. Had to make sure I, just, I dropped an absolute clangor. So don't get used <laughs> to my I've, voice, I've, everyone. I've, I won't I've never, never I've never stooped the low of calling you Danny Murphy yet either. So. <laughs> I know, and and thank I can only thank you for that because you don't know how much shame is on that name. <laughs> um, but also joining me, um, I'll get this one right. Tyrone Marshall is also with us. Ty. I think I'm yeah. okay. I think I'm okay going there. How's it going? It's fine. It's fine, Dan. Uh, yeah, I'm happy with Ty. You can call me whatever you want, mate. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, that's good. Um, well, I might have had a clangor there, but I've certainly not had as big a clangor as Arthur Gunnar Solskjaer had on Sunday. And it's been quite the week for United Samuel. On Monday, it looked like it might actually be the end of Solskjaer's two, two and a half year reign or so in charge at Old Trafford. But he's still hanging on. He's still in the hot seat for. Saturday's game against Tottenham what a week it's been how is he kind of still in a job I guess well there, there is literally only one reason on, on this planet that he is still in the job and that's because United don't have a succession plan uh, I was told that before Sunday they had given no consideration whatsoever to sacking him which smacks of incompetence I'd argue when you consider the form in the run-up to the October internationals. I think red flags have been planted throughout the year. You could go back to the Sheffield United defeat in January, the Leicester Cup game in March, the Europa League final. And then you've had the Leicester result where even the most mild-mannered of reporters in the press box said that it felt like the beginning of the end. And again, that's without even factoring in the absolute humiliation they suffered against Liverpool last week. So, his sacking was was certainly considered uh, when I did the podcast on Monday. I think it was late morning, early afternoon, and I said at the time my gut feeling was that he would be in charge against Spurs. When I'd finished it, and a couple, I don't know, an hour later, I thought, "Oh God, that's that's not going to age well." Because at that, when it came to the afternoon, I thought, "Oh, he is going to be sacked." From some of the things I was being told, but then in the evening, it, I, again, it changed, and it seemed like he wouldn't be sacked. But ultimately, people at the club took around about 48 hours to very confidentially or privately express their support for Solskjaer, which is hardly a ringing endorsement. Even though there are you know, good coaches available out there at the moment, um, with, with someone like Antonio Conte, uh, some people at United are not keen on him. I can understand the caveats with Zindin Zidane as well. Uh, I don't necessarily think he's as good a coach as the three Champions Leagues on his CV suggest. But Ultimately, they are more suitable coaches to to manage Manchester United at the moment than, than the incumbent. And that's the principle of it. And as I was saying to Ty earlier today, when Liverpool, Leeds and Manchester City fans are chanting Ole's at the wheel and he is still the United manager, there is something very badly wrong at the club. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about any like the potential candidates um, to replace Solskjaer you know, in the cup well. Because um, his job, even though he's still in the job at the minute, he's certainly not at the woods yet. But Tyrone, it's, it's say it's been a weird week. I think what kind of made it seem like it was towards the, the end for me on Monday was that the rumblings coming out of the dressing room. We've never had that under Solskjaer. For all his faults on a tactical level, he's been really good man manager throughout. The mood has changed. And I think even now, still, 
even though there have been rumblings, you know, we reported about the kind of confusement to some team selections with like the, the continued kind of exclusions of the likes of Lingard and Van der Beek. Even though there still doesn't seem to be that bad of a mood around the club, there isn't the dark clouds that were kind of hovering so low during Mourinho's final days, or pretty much the entire of his tenure, really. But I thought that was kind of this, the first rumblings of that kind of seemed like a, a really bad sign for Solskjaer. But as you say, he's still hanging in there um, for now, at least. Yeah, he is. And, and when it reaches that stage with the manager, when the, the, you know, the players and the players' camps are if not briefing against him, certainly questioning certain decisions, it's you know, it's pretty much the not the beginning of the end, it's virtually the end of the end, really. It's almost impossible for a manager to come back from that. And it did seem then like it was it was gonna be the end game. Um, I've been off all this week and following following the action from afar, so to speak, in in rural France. So it's been you know, it's been a pretty strange week and I was sort of checking on Twitter every now and again when I got a phone signal and it looked like like Samuel said, come Monday afternoon, it looked for all the world like it was it was going to be the end for him and, and going to be a goner. But somehow he has survived. But I mean, it always feels the case that when you reach this position on a game to game basis, it's very hard to then string the wins together to to turn the narrative around and give yourself any breathing space. I mean, it is it is staggering in a way he survived this far. I remember talking before the um, Leicester game at the start of this run of fixtures that. Although he wasn't under much pressure in the October international break and, and obviously they were so confident then they gave Mike Phelan a three-year contract and spun it as an endorsement to the coaching structure in the assisting setup. But I remember, I can't remember if it was Samuel or on a podcast, that it still felt, given how bad performances had been in the first 10 games of the season, it felt like between the October-November breaks, things could escalate quickly. And I think they've escalated even quicker than than I expected. Obviously, with the 4-2 the defeat to Leicester, the 5-0 defeat to Liverpool, they were both shocking. And then the three-two against Atalanta, you know, in context or as a standalone game, it's a good result. I, I managed to watch the game when I was away on Sunday, and I have to say I was absolutely staggered when I saw it was an unchanged team because anyone who watched that Atalanta game, and I put it in my piece the next day, it was a comeback built on pure desperation. There was no, you didn't watch that second half and think they've stumbled upon a great tactical shift here or moving someone twenty yards left or to inside right position has changed anything. It was just desperation. That was never going to work against Liverpool. And to have picked the same team in the same formation, I mean, the Liverpool coaching staff in that dressing room an hour before kickoff must have just been thinking, came on, because it was obvious what was going to happen. And I don't think I expected 5-0, but when I saw that team, I thought United could be in trouble here because they've been playing this team in this system all season and they've been getting cut open. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Paul Scholes called it um, absolutely spot yeah. on in, after the match against Atalanta. And that's, I think that's what's been telling. Like before the October international break, I think optimism was quite high. Um, it was, you know, United were two points off the top, maybe two or three points off the top. But it was clear from the fixtures that they'd had up to that point. I think they'd only played one of the top six last year, which was West Ham. They hadn't played any of the big teams and everyone could see the fixtures coming. That United have had a good start. That's why their position is kind of false, where you looked at, City and Liverpool, who'd had much more tougher fixtures, and were still above them. Like it was all this kind of storm was only um, was always coming. I don't think we thought it'd be quite as drastic. I think the Leicester game. I thought I think United may have you know Leicester weren't playing that well this season up to that point either. I think we could have thought United might have put up a bit more of a fight there than the Atalanta game. I actually thought United would smash Atalanta because I think they're a team that suits how United play so much. Like the kind of they're a much better team than Leeds. But they play with that sign, that kind of uh, Gian uh, Gasparini is the same as Bielsa. He's very committed to his attacking play, won't change it for the opposition. You could have seen United really benefit from that. And even then, they still made a meal with it. Even then, with Atlanta having five of the better players 
all ruled out. I think they had literally the whole defence ruled out. They had Martin Darun playing centre-back as a midfielder. So even then, that result wasn't... Even though they won and it was feel good on the night, it wasn't painting a good picture. And then, then we had the Liverpool thing when everything's come to a head. And I just don't see you know, what's going to change in the next few weeks. Solskjaer's not going to suddenly become a master tactician against Tottenham and City. They may get a good results. Solskjaer's record against Guardiola is very good. He's actually won more of the encounters, encounters than Guardiola has. But I just don't see... Even if they win this game, it's Tottenham, Atlanta, or even City. The the the, the changes, the problems in the team aren't going to be changed. I don't think Samuel. And I say, can it can it be turned around from here? Because I just don't, I just don't see a, a scenario where the long term problems get rectified with Solskjaer still at the helm. No, I, I don't think it can either. Uh, I I just don't think there's there shouldn't have been any coming back from this. They they have bottled it this week in terms of not sacking him. I don't care if the tea lady should have been put up to the press conference on Friday. It was just the principle of it that they got absolutely annihilated by Liverpool 5-0. There have only been two occasions in the history of that fixture where there have been 5-0 away wins. Um, and the last was in 1946. So that that's just how rare it is. And then you've got Leeds uh, fans uh, singing Ole's at the wheel on Tuesday night. Then it was City fans on Wednesday night. Liverpool fans were doing it on, on Sunday. And I, I thought when they were going through those repertoire of chants, sardonically supporting Solskjaer, I just thought, well, this has got to be it. Because that was it for Mourinho. When, when United lost in his last game at Anfield, Liverpool fans were chanting, don't sack Mourinho. And it is extremely difficult, not impossible to come back from that. And somehow Solskjaer is clinging on by by his fingernails this week but I, th- I suppose since Tuesday the the scrutiny fell on um, the hierarchy because on Monday it was is he going to get sacked is he not going to get sacked by Tuesday morning I think it's pretty clear that he wasn't going to and then it's why are these why are these figures not not sacking a manager who is unfortunately for him a dead duck of a manager at United now and it's it's peculiar because in the conversations I've had with certain people at the club this week, they've been more protective of Rich Darnold and Ed Woodward than they have been of the manager. It's almost as if the manager has become fair game because th- they can't do anything there. They can't do anything about um, defending Rich Darnold and Ed Woodward either. The, the things that they've said about Solskjaer this year alone, you always go back to that quote Arnold said in March about Solskjaer bringing phenomenal success to United. You go back to that quote Woodward gave last month in the statement for the investors call where he said he'd never been more confident than ever of success as well. So those are two reasons why Solskjaer's in charge. And that's even without mentioning the three-year contract he got in July. And that that we're at this stage now, it, it's not surprising yet. It is a surprise because it's probably the only they are probably the only major club in the world who would allow this to happen, that would allow a manager to survive a result like Sunday's. And that's without even taking into account the, the context leading up to the game, just how Leicester was really, really bad. But that almost feels like it belongs to another season now because of just how seismic the defeat was to Liverpool last week. And Solskjaer's came out today a little bit defiant, not, not massively defiant. It, it wasn't the damp squib of a press conference I thought it was going to be. But he was asked whether he felt he could survive this perilous period and of course he said he he believes he can but if he said no then I mean he he might as well have been driven out straight away there and then but that's that's the problem because we're in this cycle now where they've got three games even if they won these three games I don't think it changes a great deal of 
about matters whatsoever. I, I don't think United have a manager who you can believe in to challenge the other top coaches in the Premier League. And from a purely selfish perspective, I've got the first week off of the November internationals. And I, I fear that it's just going to go up in smoke now. <laughs> yeah, I think you're not wrong there at all. Ah, it just seems it just seems like such a predictable scenario. I think everyone said when he got the job permanently, why are you doing it now? Why don't you just wait, see what happens? I think when he got the new contract a few months ago, just see what happens. It seems like United have always been kind of biting the gun to show support to Solskjaer when he doesn't, it's, it's just, pay, you know, it's just setting them up, everyone up to fail. And now, you know, as we say, I think the Liverpool game was quite telling how Liverpool at 5-0 um, at the 50th minute, they really could have gone on at that stage and put 10 past them. Like, they, was, they were cutting for him at will and they just stopped. It almost feels like they stopped, obviously, to kind of uh, preserve their own energy levels. But in a way, like, if they did too much damage, they could have got rid of Solskjaer there and then. And, like, in all likelihood, the longer Solskjaer's in charge at United, the longer City and Liverpool don't really need to worry about them as a chief concern, it feels to me. A City, when we're coming up with City, can kind of get a result because it just seems like United aren't as kind of defensively sound as they were um, in their games in previous seasons when they've done well against City. You can't see Pep trying to go for the throw either because I'm sure this isn't really in the thinking, but it just seems so obvious that they're not really going to stick it, trying to stick the boot in too much because if they do, there's no coming back for it. But we have kind of been, well, not as bad and it's never been a 5-0 loss to Liverpool. We have been in scenarios before where it seems like there's no way Solskjaer can survive. Mm-hmm. And every time his players kind of, they do kind of turn out for him. I know he didn't really like that uh, question a few weeks ago when someone asked him, did the players play for him? I think it was after the Atalanta game, wasn't it? But they seem to do. They always seem to kind of dig in and get a result for him when they need it the most. So maybe we'll say, will he survive this period we've got coming up now? I I can't see it. I mean, he has, he's been, not on the brink before, but he's been there's been scrutiny on him at times before. There's been moments where he's been under immense pressure. Um, the Liverpool game two years ago in the October when, that was probably the closest I think he's he's come to losing his job, perhaps. And he got that 1-1 draw with Liverpool had won every game up until then. Bit of a tactical triumph for him. I think in the December then, he then beat City and Tottenham under pressure. There was obviously the 6-1 last year when they then went and won their next two, I think. Um, the Basak-Sahir game. So there's been moments where it's felt like the tide is turning and he's rescued it. But I think the tide has turned too much this time. And the performances have just been rotten all season you could see this coming a mile off because of how bad they've been this season and you know that you mentioned the questionable decisions at the start there they rushed into giving him the job when you know Gary Neville was giving him a free contract to sign and trying to build him a statue Rio Ferdinand the same and and people get carried away I mean me and Samuel were in Paris and you, you get carried away with the story but it's you know we're, in a way we convey the feelings of fans as well so at that time everyone was getting carried away but there was also there was also warning sounds of, you know, this man hasn't got loads of experience. He, he's brought back some ideals to the club, but he hasn't got loads of experience. And there's no doubt United got carried away. And I think I think he survived up until now. And I think he's still surviving because United staked so much in him when they gave him that job permanently that to admit to, to, admit to failure is basically to admit to wasting the last two years, really. And I think... You know, it, it also, they obviously wouldn't admit it, but I think there's perhaps an underlying element here that Edward would go in at some point in the next two months, we presume, before the end of the year. You know, his last significant act as executive vice chairman is probably going to have to be to sack the manager that he's, he was only saying last month that he was more confident than ever he was going to bring success to the club to, 
to sack a manager that he's committed so much faith in to, to being on the right plan. And now he's going to have to turn around and say, you know, my last week in the job and uh, yeah, I got it wrong the last two years, guys, and we're going to have to sack him, I'm afraid. So it's it's not a good look. The decision to give him the contract in the summer, especially after the Villarreal defeat, was needless. And I think, you know, the in a way, the biggest risk now is to lose the goodwill that, not the goodwill, but the the status that Solskjaer has built up, certainly among matchgoers, I think it's it's safe, but it'd be a shame if it deteriorated and they let him stay there almost as a punching bag when when bad results are coming. Whatever happens now, tactically, I think he's he's not good enough and he's never been good enough, but there are some elements over the last two and a half years where he has been fairly successful in, in bringing back a philosophy to the club. The club feels much more, there's much more unity at the club now. He's definitely improved some players. He's brought through some good youngsters, but... It's clear it's it's not working. I don't think tactically it was ever going to work. And I think, in a way, he almost needs to be put out of his misery and just said, look, thanks for everything you've done, but it's not working and let's just go our separate ways. Yeah, I, I don't think there's ever... I don't think people can question that he was the right man at the right times, kind of disperse, the, you know, be the ray of sunshine to kind of disperse the Mourinho clouds. I don't think, you know, he's the right man at the time, but that time is long over now. He just, he just seems a bit out of his depth. Said. I think it's always been telling that I don't think any Premier League fans of any other Premier League club, and maybe even to the Championship, would want Solskjaer as their manager. And I think that says a lot. You know, as we said there, Samuel, the international break coming up after the City game, the first game United have after that is Watford before they then have to face Arsenal and Chelsea. So not a great run like Solskjaer had when he first came in. But does that kind of seem like the point where it seems like it's going to happen, results of these two games uh, dependent? And then... I say, who is the ideal candidate? Because I say, there's Conte's available, Zidane's available, Rogers, Brendan Rogers at Leicester was asked about the job today, said he had no interest in it, but, you know, you have to say that when you're at another club. But what kind of candidate stands out to you to get the job? Or is it just going to be Michael Carrick standing into the end of the season? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, was, uh, that was quickly an issue when Mourinho got sacked, when, in fairness, United did have Solskjaer lined up. They'd lined him up about two months earlier uh, when he verbally agreed to to take on as, as caretaker manager when the point came for them to actually pull the trigger on Mourinho. And I think Carrick at that point didn't have his UEFA Pro licence, which mean he meant he literally could not be uh, the caretaker manager at the time, I think. So, I mean, with, with the current coaching staff, the, it's a pretty uninspiring set. So in terms of a caretaker, who would it be? I, I don't think Mike Phelan's quite as conjoined with Solskjaer as some people see him as, even though he's, got a new contract not too long after Solskjaer got a new contract. I certainly don't think he should be caretaker manager either, but it, it depends whether they want that minor transitional period or they've got someone to come in straight away. And and that might be behind their thinking in terms of waiting until the November internationals where they can get someone in and they can bed them in. And they've, they've got best part of two weeks to prepare for that first game at, at Watford. But, but speaking to the, the representative of, of one of those managers this week, the, the, the suggestion is that United haven't really settled on a profile of manager that they want. And this is becoming a grey area because although it's not gospel, you look at what the football director, John Murtagh, said on the fan forum last month, talking about style of play and how they want that to be a thread uh, across the age group, so from the first team to the under 23 to the academy, this idealistic outlook that is something that is you know, ingrained at a club like Ajax or, or Barcelona. But if you were to bring in Antonio Conte, you don't get that. Now, 
I'm sure there are a lot of United fans that would say, well, I don't care. I just want want to see the first team succeeding. And if that comes at the cost of the under-23s development, then then so be it. Um, there, there's no perfect solution at the moment. There are a lot of candidates, a lot of credible candidates who have different approaches to it. Conte, I think partially because of how how well he got on with some of the reporters when he was over in England, he, he's enjoyed a very positive week of coverage. And I suppose with every day that United have not sacked Solskjaer, the, the case for appointing Conte has actually grown because the more you think about it, the fact that he's out of work and Solskjaer is still the United manager after last week's result and the results they've had recently, it, it does feel rather perverse. And United have also missed the boat on a number of top coaching appointments in the past. Pochettino was out of work for 13 months. They could have had him at the drop of a hat. They they didn't go for him. There was that approach last year, tentative approach, uh, that they didn't follow through with. And I mean, I wrote recently that they, they probably missed the chance to be taken seriously last year when you had Pochettino out of work and Tuchel was on the market for, for a month, I think it was, although during that period, United actually went top. So Tuchel was never a, a go as far as they were concerned. But... It's not a mistake that this keeps on happening and it's happened since Ferguson anointed Moyes, who who really should, not really, he should just never have had the job. They should have given it to Mourinho. They'd have had probably short-term success. Then they could have found a long-term candidate to replace him two or three years down the line. Uh, they've, they've just botched pretty much all of the managerial handovers they've had since Moyes came in for Ferguson. And now it seems like they're taking their time to decide who who, who the next one should be. I don't think there's a perfect candidate out there. Everybody has their own personal choice. Ten Hag's getting a lot of um, mentions from fans online. It's a completely different environment going from Ajax to United. Ajax's um, record signing is Sebastian Haller from West Ham. Ten Hag has not got has not got experience of dealing with egos the size of some of the ones that are in the United squad at the moment. You need a coach who who has that about them. Now, Conte certainly has. I think Brendan Rodgers has as well. Uh, it's easily forgotten. He, he was the one who really probably transformed Luis Suarez into a world-class player, I'd say, when he was at Liverpool in that 2013-14 season. Um, Suarez was brilliant the season before that, but he he went up to a completely different level in that season where they should have won the league. But again, there are a lot of caveats with Rodgers where he's he's, he's bottled a couple of run-ins with Leicester and, of course, Liverpool. Uh, some hold his Champions League record with Celtic against him. I think that's a minor blemish given that Celtic have been useless in the Champions League for what feels like a decade. Um, maybe maybe even more than that. But ultimately, we're discussing all these candidates and it's we're beating about the bush, but they're all better managers than Solskjaer. And that's the other striking thing. You look at United's last five games against Liverpool, Atalanta, Leicester, Everton, uh, Villarreal. That's, that's quite an eclectic bunch of matches there and every coach they've come up against is a better coach than Solskjaer and I won't hear you know I, I, I won't hear any other answer to it whether it's Emery or Benitez or um, Brendan Rodgers or Pat Gasparini or Jurgen Klopp they're all better than him and that's going from Atalanta who are a pretty unglamorous club in in Italy that's going from Everton who are a big club but haven't won anything since 1995 
okay, Liverpool, huge club. Leicester have had great success in recent years, but they're not expected to be challenging with the elite or, or weren't expected to be challenging with the elite until recently. It's absolutely unconscionable for United to be in this situation that they're in, knowing that they have got a dead duck of a manager. And that's why I feel sorry for Solskjaer, because he's in a position he should no longer be in, and he's still going to be the punch bag for a lot of supporters. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've set out the kind of pros and cons for each one there pretty well. I think Conte, to me, just makes the most sense, because for a long while, United have been kind of preaching long-term vision with Solskjaer, you know, promoting youth, and Solskjaer's done well at that with Greenwood and the like. But, you know, there was a there was a new directive last year, you know, after the Sanchez failure to not sign big names who are aging stars just because of who they are. And then they went back on that with Ronaldo. Yeah. Now there's plenty yeah. of, you know, there's plenty of reasons they could have done that. They, they couldn't have let him go to City. That would have been quite embarrassing for him. So it's understandable in one stage, but they have gone against their plan to kind of build long term. So in that case, why would you get a manager for long term thinking anymore? Get Conte. You might only get him for two years, two and a half. It might end in tears when he eventually kicks off over not being outside Victor Moses, but he'll probably he will he'll probably get you a title and he'll probably get the best out of Ronaldo while you've still got him still close to his peak, even though he's now on the way down. You've got Ronaldo now, you're spending, I imagine, quite a lot of wages for him. You may as well get the best out of him now and then worry about the future another day. You know, Tyron, like Chelsea never worry about the long term future, but they've won a lot more than United in recent years. You know, maybe long term thinking is a bit overrated when it comes to actually on the pitch, having your manager. Yeah, possibly. It does feel like there's certain clubs that that suits. Chelsea is one of them. Inter Milan, maybe another. I mean, I'm just listening clubs where Conte's been at now. But, you know, it does feel like there's clubs that suit that short-term thinking. Um, Watford, to a degree, I guess, that's their approach. Wouldn't call it success necessarily. Um, but it, it's their approach. And then there's clubs that you expect to have this long-term outlook and philosophy like United, I guess, Arsenal, Liverpool. Um, and it, I mean, it's hard to say that obviously Conte is the most qualified candidate. Personally, I'd shy away from him purely because I think United have gone in a different direction and it would it would kind of smack of that, um, obviously with much better CVs, but the England era where you went from the soft touch of Sven to bringing in Capello to, you know, get everyone into shape and then that's not working. Let's go back to the even softer touch of Steve McLaren, just one extreme to the other. And when you're going from one extreme to the other, it tends to smack of a club that doesn't know what it's what, what it wants and doesn't have the right people set in a direction for the football side of the business. And in United, that's probably a fair, a fair assumption. Really. Sounds spot I mean, on really, doesn't it? <laughs> does sound spot on. Yeah. Um, and as, as highly rated, I guess is the word as, as John Murta is, is he the one that sat there saying, this is the philosophy we want. We don't want short terms. We want attacking football, pressing football, a manager that can bring players through. And if you're looking at that, maybe Conte's not the man. I mean, I would, I would go for Rodgers. I think I still think he's underrated. I think he's a phenomenal coach. And me and Samuel drove back from that Leicester game and I, I was talking about his press conference afterwards and to listen to him talk that day, he was really insightful on how his team had played, how they'd beaten United tactically, how his team were better when they pressed aggressively. And he just he just sounded a really insightful coach. And we've seen that he is an insightful coach. I think Ten Hag, like Samuel said, is a risk. I mean, Ajax's Champions League record is pretty exceptional. Uh, watched that team a couple of years ago. Their record this season has been even better. They beat Bristol Dortmund 4-0 last week. They won 5-1 in sport in Lisbon. They beat them Besiktas. And he's kind of rebuilt a second really good promising side there based around youth. So I think he'd be 
an interesting appointment, but maybe a risky one, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I think I would lean towards someone like Rogers. Um, but it is, you know, I can understand it sounds strange to, to shy away from Conte when he's easily the most qualified candidate and in the managerial game at the moment. He's the closest thing to, to guaranteed success you're going to get. Absolutely. I bet Van der Beek's got his uh, fingers crossed for Ten Hag to say that much. <laughs> yeah, he might actually so. get, a, get a chance then. <laughs> there is a game on Saturday, Samuel. Tottenham. They're not in any great shakes either. You know, Nuno Espirito Santo hasn't got off to a great start there. Um, he, he, his job looks quite in peril as well, in, even at this early stage. Uh, Rafael Varane's back after his injury. Do you expect many changes? There's going to have to be some. He, there's no way he could... I, I think um, I wouldn't want to be uh, the person on social media um, if he names an unchanged team for that. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> where, where do you see some changes uh, being made um, and how many do you think he'd go for? I can see it being something like four or five. Um, Varane will obviously come in, but I think you saw last season with, with Tottenham, funnily enough, Mourinho just could not happen upon uh, a settled back two there. It got to the point where he was changing both centre-backs some games, and I don't think that really breeds stability. I think you need to have some uh, some consistency there. So I, I, I would be surprised if one of Maguire or, and, and Lidlof, Lindelof um, sorry, I wouldn't be surprised if one of Maguire and Lindelof survive, uh, but th- you've you've got to lay down the law, really. After that game last week, I don't think you can have three quarters of that back four um, playing. I think it's just the principle of it. Uh, you know, our esteemed colleague Dom said yesterday that he thinks wan has been a good signing. Well, if it was a good signing, they would not have looked to get an upgrade for him in the summer in, in Kieran Trippier and just the way he's played for upwards of a year now it's 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 really quite alarming Diogo Dallo got stage fright during his audition against Real. so th- this is the problem I think whatever team you, Solskjaer puts out it's not a team it's not a team for the future it's not a team going ahead it's just it's it's needs must uh yeah. it's just to get us through this game and then it will be a different team against Atalanta to get them through that game and then a different team against City to get them through that game and that that's not what it should be like. You've got to be trying to, you know, build a build a title challenge inside. But he he can't do that this week. He can't abide by the players who started the two games last week. And I know, even in the press room before the Liverpool game, I, I said I think he's going to be unchanged today. And I think Miguel Delaney said like he scoffed at that as if to say what how, how could he possibly do that? But the, the signs were there from not making a half-time change against Atalanta. I just thought he had clearly settled on the players to get him through last week. Just outworked against Atalanta, even though it, it, that seemed like very... That, that was very similar to the Villarreal game in a lot of ways, which was not a good thing. And then, obviously, the, they were smashed to smithereens by Liverpool. But for this Spurs game, it, it obviously has to be Varane. It has to be Matic to plug the gaps. He's the only defensive midfielder in that squad. I thought he was underused last week. I mean, he wasn't used at all, but I thought dropping him altogether, not using him altogether after the Leicester game was was wrong. I thought he actually performed well up until the point against Leicester and that was pretty much doing doing two jobs on his own because Pogba was 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 being Pogba really. Um but it's 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 gotta be a significant amount of changes. There has to be a change to the attack. I, I think Lingard has has been so unfortunate not to have started a truly meaningful match this season despite his impacts off the bench and maybe it's time for him to to come in and I know a lot of people would disagree but Fernandes is 
finances form as mirrored United's uh, of late, and there has to come a point where enough's enough there um, because he's he's waif- wasteful, he's erratic. United needs someone different to play off Cristiano Ronaldo, I think. I think Lingard is certainly worth trialling that. But again, this is a player who's out of contract at the end of the season. Um, is, is, is this looking ahead? No, it isn't. It's it's all about on the day, just getting through this game and having that mentality in itself is just not healthy for the United at the moment. Yeah, I was actually going to um, bring it up as myself. Like, if there's going to be some high-profile kind of cups tie, I don't see Ronaldo getting dropped, even though no. his performances off the ball maybe warrant it. I know he has such a kind of useful, he's so useful um, in the box and obviously he's, he's kind of leadership in the dressing room has been noted this week as well. So I don't think he'll be dropped. Well, again, I think Fernandez, and then maybe Greenwood, because I think Greenwood started season well, but he's maybe flagged off a little bit. It was his kind of his instinct to go and press it in, in the first few minutes that kind of put the whole team out of shape. When when Basaka then had to follow, then Maguire had to follow, and that's what kind of messed everything up to, to allow Cater just to go through and score. Do we see something? You know, I think Fernandez for Lingard is one of the big changes I could see happening, and you know, maybe Cavani comes in as well because I think the the biggest problem that United had against Liverpool that led to such an early onslaught was just that the lack of pressing up front. It was just they so easily played around. It wasn't um, organized, or it was uh, there was no plan in the press. It was just oh, I feel like I need to go and close mm-hmm. down. Feel like I'm busy. Greenwood went forward, left a big gap, and then everyone else just kind of surged to fill them gaps, and it just left them very easy to play through. So, But we'll play with Cavani or Lingard. At least they have a bit more energy about them and a bit more relentlessness in that press and can actually do it a bit better than, you know, a half-hearted Greenwood who's only doing it to make it look like he's busy. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, co- the, the press this season has looked poorly coached and poorly executed, to be honest. Um, players don't seem to know what they're doing, who should be pressing who, what the triggers are to press, who the triggers are to be pressing on. One player presses, the other doesn't, and it's just made United really easy to to play through. And I think, um, you know, I, I don't want to say it, it's due to Ronaldo signing, but I don't I don't think they've adapted yet to having Ronaldo as the fulcrum rather than Cavani. Um, and you obviously need to adapt when that's the case because we know Ronaldo's not going to press that much. We could have looked at him last season and said, well, he's going to score goals, but he's not going to press that much. So to expect the team to play the same way when you've gone from then Cavani to the... To, to Ronaldo's approach where he's kind of sitting waiting for chances and, and he's offering decent movement but he's not going to press much so mm-hmm. I think it's poorly coached at the moment and I don't think they've adapted to it um, I mean I, I, I'm saying I wouldn't be surprised if the system stayed the same personally I would change it I would look at a, maybe even a sort of a 3-4-2 type system get three centre-backs in try and be a bit more solid play Rashford up front with Ronaldo you can kind of play split forwards um, that's often a system that's worked for Solskjaer, would, would allow Van der Beek maybe to play in midfield and get a bit more control of the game and control of the ball. And, you know, it does feel like something has to give. And, I mean, if Solskjaer goes into these games this week and plays 4-2-3-1 and they go wrong and he gets the sack, he only has himself to blame because he's seen all season it's not working. And United have just been... United are so easy to play through because the press is so disorganised. And if that continues it's going to be the same. You know, they're, they're pressed so badly that you'd back a League One or a League Two team to play through them and create good chances just because mm-hmm. there is so much space next to the midfield and in front of the midfield and behind the midfield. So it'll be interesting to see if this week they've had on the training ground with a, a fully fit squad has, has led to either any significant tactical changes or if it's still the four-two-three-one, an improvement in that shape and mm. keeping those gaps between midfield defence and attack a little bit tighter. 
Yeah, I think the back back three is not a bad shout because I think that was the formation he used during his first year and a half or so when he was against the big sides, when he wasn't as confident in his team mm. to actually play. So there's no, there'd be no shame in kind of going back to that. Now, I imagine all confidence has been completely lost in, in his team's ability to defend and stuff. So it wouldn't be a bad shout at all. But, you know, before we kind of wrap this episode up, you know, Tottenham, as we said, Samuel, they've got their own problems. How do you see this kind of game going? It could be a really like a Squid Games approach. Whoever loses could be um, out the door. <laughs> a topical yeah. reference. Indeed. <laughs> uh, well, the other funny thing about the back three is that Richard and Ed Woodward might see improvement. Think, Christ, this is this actually the way forward? Let's let's get Conte in with his back three. Yeah. If they could do this under Solskjaer, imagine what they'll do under Conte with three defenders. Uh, <laughs> I, I can. I don't. I don't think it can get any worse after last week. And as you as you say, Tottenham are very. They're a poor side. They're worse than last season. I know the first half of last season they they did all right, and they had that brief period when when they were top under Mourinho. But there's not a lot to fear in that team. Kane still doesn't look like himself. Uh, I think Son's had a pretty underwhelming year as well. Um, I think ordinarily yesterday United might have just been turning up and turning them over but it doesn't doesn't work like that anymore so I suppose the draw is the obvious obvious result to, to go towards but again as I've said on these things before uh, we make our predictions on the Friday and then the team sheet drops and the predictions become a lot more clear-cut certainly it was last week when I saw it was an unchanged side I think I think everybody just feared the worst at that point for United and what's your predictions Ty? Yeah, I can see a draw again as well, just because it would only add to the confusion, really, of whether it's a good result or not, whether it buys Solskjaer time or not. It would just add to the confusion that has kind of been the, the subject of this week. So, But it is impossible to call. I mean, it's not beyond the realms of this weird United team to turn up there, put in a good performance and win. And it's not beyond the realms that Solskjaer will play the same formation, change a few players, they're still open and they get beat 3-0. So they are... You know, we've often said it, they're an almost impossible team to predict. So, you know, win, win lose or draw, it, it, virtually anything is possible really on, on Saturday. But I can see a, I can see a draw just for the, the bizarreness of it, really. So, I think I think United actually get a result here. I can just see it. It's, you know, lads, it's Tottenham, etc. But <laughs> I can just see, I can just see, you know, after such, they always, they, always, they, do, they do kind of raise the game when Solskjaer needs it the most. And he's never needed it more than now. So I do see, you know, we're getting a result here. Maybe Atalanta, another kind of decent performance. And then and then City comes to Old Trafford and then, we'll, you know, it could be another um, another rude awakening, shall we say. But we'll have all the coverage of that game, of course, over on Manchester Evening News forward slash Manchester United. That is the end of um, this episode of Manchester is Red. Thank you very much for listening. Please uh, give it a little review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to it. And, share with your friends and whatnot and uh, yeah we'll see you next week for hopefully not another post-mortem of a horrible Manchester United result hopefully it'll be a bit more bit more upbeat next week so thank you very much for listening and we'll see you then ta-ra